Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So I've actually been really excited to teach this. This is something that that God kind of showed me in my studies a while back, and I've been, yeah, it was actually because a while back, Stan had gotten really sick one Sunday, well, one Saturday evening, and he sent me a text message and was just like, hey, I'm really sick tonight. Could you just have a lesson ready just in case I'm not able to teach tomorrow? And so then that night I started studying, I came up with a lesson, and then he was completely fine. I didn't get to teach it. And then, yeah, I've just been waiting since then for the opportunity. Yeah. But so today I want to talk about Gideon. Now, Gideon is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because I relate to him in a lot of ways. But I want you guys to just start off by thinking, when you, when you think of Gideon, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Because for me, for a long time, it was, well, like someone who is courageous, like a mighty hero. Like it says in the passage, the angel calls him a mighty hero. And someone who just followed God and did everything that he wanted to. And because of that, he saved his entire nation of people. But when I started going back through and studying this passage this last time, I realized that that's not actually who Gideon was. That's him at the end of the story, but that doesn't tell the whole picture because that skips 90% of the story of Gideon and where he actually was. Because in truth, Gideon was actually a really, really big coward in every way, and he did everything he could to try and get out of doing what God wants him to do, all because he was afraid. And so I want to go through the story of Gideon and kind of point some of that out and then show some lessons that we can learn about the way that Gideon was afraid and what God did through all of that. So starting, we're going to be starting in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. And at the beginning, this is the backstory of what's happening when right before God calls Gideon. And so it says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes were coming with their livestock and tents. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count and stayed until the land was stripped bare. So before I read that next verse, I want to just point out what's happening to Israel during this time. 
So it starts out, they turn away from God, which is a very common pattern throughout the entire Bible. They're constantly following God, and then they turn away from God. God sends destruction their way. They turn back to God. God saves them. They turn away from God. God sends destruction. It's just a back and forth with them all the way through the Old Testament. And so, <clears throat> so they turn away from God. God lets the armies of the Midianites come and basically completely destroy them. So I want to highlight a few things that they did in this just to show how far away they had gone from God. So Midianites come in. The first thing that they do is obviously they try to fight the Midianites. That obviously doesn't work from the fact that we're told that the Midianites are completely destroying them, taking all their crops away. So they try to fight the Midianites. That doesn't work. So then they get afraid, and then they say, okay, let's go hide. It says they make hiding places for themselves in the caves and the hills and in strongholds. So they're basically saying, let's get as far away from them as we can. Let's make sure they don't even know that we're here. And then that didn't even work because then the Midianites just came and destroyed all of their crops, all of their livestock, all of that, and left them with nothing to eat. And so finally, in verse 6, says, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So they literally waited to the very last second to cry out to God. And it's not like they're, they're just thinking, well, we don't need a God to help us, because this whole time they're worshiping other gods through the rest of this passage. We're realizing that the people of Israel are worshiping Baal at this moment. So this whole time, they've probably been calling out to Baal and asking Baal to please help them through all of this. And then nothing happens, and they're now reduced to starvation. And then some of them finally start thinking, well, you know, our ancestors told us about this God who, you, who brought our entire nation out of slavery in Egypt and fed us all the way through the wilderness and helped us conquer all of this land. Maybe we should try asking him for help. So finally, they turn to God and they start crying out to God for help. And God being the loving God that he is, he decides to help them. So I want to skip down a little bit to verse 11. And so this is where it introduces Gideon. Now I want, to, I want you to pay attention to what it says Gideon is doing when he is first introduced in the passage. It says, Then the angel of the Lord... Oh, the, yeah, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the, of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So back a while ago, while I was going through the story with the youth group, I actually looked up like what a wine press is. And it's actually kind of funny because a wine press is literally a hole, probably about this wide. It's just six or eight foot hole straight in the ground. That's all that a wine press is. So Gideon is literally just standing at the bottom of a hole in the middle of the ground trying to thresh wheat because he knows that if the Midianites were to see this, they would come and probably kill him and take away the wheat he's trying to thresh. So <laughs> he is hiding in a hole in the ground to get away from the Midianites. And so then the angel appears to him, and it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 12. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. 
Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least of my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So if you're sitting there and God himself comes down to you and just starts talking to you and saying, okay, you are, I'm going to use you to free this whole nation from this persecution that it's currently under, and I, don't worry about anything. I'm going to be there with you. I will guide you the whole way along. You'd feel pretty confident because I mean, God himself is standing right there and is telling you, hey, I'm going to be here with you. But Gideon's not that way. He is still thinking about what this is actually going to mean. And it shows that by his next phrase. Because right after that, the Lord says to him, don't worry, you, you'll completely defeat them with no trouble. And then Gideon replies, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Now, I think this is interesting because I 100% believe Gideon knows that this is the Lord speaking to him. And if you just look through the rest of the Bible at all the times that it says the angel of the Lord appeared, almost all of them, people are like terrified because they're seeing the angel of the Lord and they don't know what to do. And before anything, the angel of the Lord has to calm them down and tell them not to be afraid before, they, before he can actually speak to them. So it is possible that it just decided, okay, this time I'm just going to look like a regular person. But Gideon himself says that this is the Lord. And one of the passages, he says, but Lord, and then continues on with this statement. So he knows who he's talking to. And then he says, okay, well, if you're really going to do this, uh, give me a sign to show that you really are the Lord. Now, I, I, this is something that I've actually done in my time, so I, I kind of understand his mindset here. I remember there was one time back when I was first getting into youth ministry, before I was a youth pastor here, I was just a youth leader, and we were having a revival here. It was either Matt Rutland or Colin who was coming here to speak for a revival, and so I was kind of put in charge of getting the youth group together to go and pass out flyers just in the park and around the neighborhood so to invite people to come to this. And so I had invited a lot of people to come. And then on the day that we were supposed to be doing it, I was sitting up here at the church, had all the flyers ready. And I just one by one kept getting messages from students or from their parents saying that they weren't going to be able to come one by one by one until finally it was just me. There, there was no one else who was going to go and it was just me. Now, if any of you know me, you know that one of my biggest fears and biggest struggles is just going and talking to a stranger. 
Now, like teaching like this, I'm completely fine because the people who are here are want to be here and want to learn. So I'm completely fine with that. But just going around and then going and talking, like stopping someone from what they're doing and then trying to talk to them about something is something that I am terrified of. And so I'm sitting here, no one else is coming, and I know that God's telling me, you just need to go by yourself. And so you know what I did? I sat here and I'm like, okay, God, you know this is a really big thing for me. You know this is really hard for me to do. So I need you to make it really clear to me that this is what you want me to do, and then I'll do it. And then I'm sitting there, and he just makes it super clear in my mind. Yes, this is what I want you to do. And I was like, okay, God. But I really need to be sure. I really can you just make it more clear to me that this is what you want me to do? And then he made it more clear. And I, I never stopped doing that. I just kept God would make it like make me realize, yes, this is what I want you to do. And then I kept trying to test God because I was really hoping that at one of these times he wasn't going to do what I asked. And that then I would be released from doing it. <laughs> And so I understand where Gideon's coming from here because he already knows that this is the Lord he's speaking to and he knows that the Lord has said that he'll be with him the whole way. And yet he's still saying, okay, well, let me just prove that to me. Show me a test, hoping that God will not do it and then he will be released from this responsibility. So then, yeah, he goes back to his house, gets an offering, brings up to the guy, basically sets it down, and the angel of the Lord touches it with, its, with his staff, and then it all sets on fire, and the angel disappears. And then he immediately realizes, okay, this is actually God, and he actually spoke to me. So then going, <clears throat> going down a little bit, we actually get to Gideon's first test of what God wants him to do. So it's starting in verse 25. Yeah, so it says in verse 25, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood from the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did just as the Lord has had commanded. Now this is one of those areas in the Bible where I wish that that was the end of the verse. Because it would be awesome as just, yeah, God told him to do that. Okay, Gideon took his servants and he went and did that. But the ending of the verse says... Now I've lost my place. There we go. So yeah, the ending of the verse says, Gideon took ten of his servants and did just as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Because again, Israel's not in a good place right now. That's the whole reason they're taken by, that they're under attack right now. And so he knows the people who are in the town with him. He knows that they're worshiping other gods. And he knows that they're not going to be happy with him if he takes down these altars. And so he's like, okay, God told me to do it, so I guess I have to. But he makes sure to do it at night, hoping that no one will ever notice. And that, yeah, he won't get any trouble from it because no one will know that he did it. 
Well, next morning, the people wake up. They see that the that the altars have been taken down. And so then they start asking around, and probably through talking to one of the ten servants that Gideon brought with him, they find out that Gideon was the one who did it. So then they come to his father's house, and they tell his father, bring out Gideon because we're going to kill him for what he did, basically. So now he's in big trouble. And But I think it's really interesting what his father says. And starting in verse 31, it says, But Joash, which is his father, shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. So he confronts all the people and just tells them, If Baal's really a god, if you really think he has power, let him defend himself. And no one can refute that, so they just kind of leave. But So God protected Gideon and all of that. But I want to show you just how much he protected him and all of that, because there's no reason whatsoever why his father should have said that, if we look back at the command that God had given him. Because the command God gave Gideon was, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's, altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. And then it goes on to say, and sacrifice your father's bull on the altar. So Gideon not only took his father's bull, then went and destroyed his father's altar to Baal and the Asherah pole that was right beside it. So his father was also someone who worshipped Baal. And so he does all of this, yet his father was influenced by God to stand up and defend him against all of the people around him. So you see, now you can understand why, he, why I was saying that he was afraid of the people in his father's household and the people of the town, because he knows that no one else here would, would stand up and defend him if he were found out about this. Yet, still, God influences his father to stand up and protect him from it. So then, going on a little bit more, it's really funny how this is worded. So at this point, the Midianites and the armies of Amalek and all of the people from the east, what it says, all group up together. Because I imagine at this point, they're kind of getting tired of having to just find and chase down all these people around Israel. So they all group up together to just go and wipe out everyone, and they cross the Jordan River and camp there. So for the Israelites, this is basically the end. If that army marches forward, they have no hope now because they couldn't stand uh, against the Midianites alone, and now all of those nations are together, all fighting against them. And so then I found it funny in verse 34. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abenezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Now, what I want you to focus on is the beginning of that thing. It doesn't say that God told Gideon, I want you to sound the ram's horn. It says God took possession of Gideon, and made him sound the ram's horn. Now, why do you think that is? <laughs> you can probably guess by now. 
because he is afraid. And this is the last chance that he has, honestly. He knows after all of the warriors are summoned, he can't just tell them, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, go back to your homes. This is, this is his last chance to get out of this. So I can just imagine him like sitting there and God's like, okay, Gideon, it's time. Sound the ram's horn. And he's like, um, do we have to? Like, can, can we wait a little bit? No, Gideon, sound the ram's horn. Uh, well, why can't someone else do that? Like, <laughs> and then God's just like, okay, all right, you're now sounding the ram's horn. <laughs> so God forces him through his fear, forces him to sound the ram's horn, call all of the people, and in total, 32,000 of them come and gather. And all of them are ready to go and fight the Midianites. So then Gideon, now realizing, okay, there's no way back from this, still terrified, he decides, okay, let's try this one more time. And he comes to God, and he says in verse 36, Gideon said to God, If you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that's just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. So now God has directly proven himself two times when Gideon asked. But he's still going to try again. <laughs> Verse 39. And then Gideon said to God, Please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered in dew. So at this point, there's no getting out of it for Gideon. Gideon has tried every way possible that he can think of to get out of having to be the one to lead the army against the Midianites. And God has just stopped him every step of the way and kept pushing him along and has proved himself all this time. So now Gideon is sure, okay, this is something I have to do. And now he's got 32,000 men with him, so it's starting to look up a little bit. But still, we read a little bit later in the passage that says that the armies of people that are against them, it says that the people looked like a swarm of locusts on the ground. And that just their camels that they used to ride on were two, were, it literally says they were like the grains of sand on the seashore. They were too numerous to count. Now, in the Bible, they count very high when it comes to armies. So for them to say this army is so big that it is too numerous to count, that's a big deal. <laughs> so, so he's got 32,000 men all ready and willing to fight. But then God, of course, throws another curveball into this whole mess. So... He, so yeah, he has all these 32,000 men, he's getting ready, and he actually starts marching in the direction of the enemy camp. And then I love in verse 2, says, The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let, if I let you all fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell all, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. 
So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now I want you guys to remember this. I'm going to talk a little bit about this later. But I want you guys to just point out in your heads the fact that God tells Gideon when he has too many men, he tells him, send anyone who is afraid home. If anyone in the army is afraid, tell them they need to go home. I only want the people who are not afraid of this battle. So there are 10,000 people left who weren't afraid. And then in verse 4, but, God told Gideon, but the Lord told Gideon, There are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank with their hands, and all the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. So now, humanly speaking, there's no way possible that he would ever be able to win this battle. And this is what's going through his head. As I'm going through this, I want you guys to be thinking about Gideon and his mindset here. And he's already been struggling with fear this whole time here. Then he finally had 32,000 men all willing to go and fight with him. And God says, that's too many. Takes out two-thirds of those group. Now he's only left with 10,000. He still says, that's too many. And then he brings it down to 300. So 300 people against a numberless army. So there's no human way, humanly speaking way that they could actually win this battle. And so Gideon goes back to being afraid, but God gives him one more chance. And I, I want to point this out. This is something that stood out to me. Before, every time that Gideon was afraid, he the three times before, he said, Okay, God, I want you to prove to me that you're actually going to do this. And then God didn't. Well, at this point, Gideon's not going to ask again for God to prove it to him because he's already asked three times. And he doesn't, he's, I would imagine he's kind of scared to keep asking God, just keep proving it to me. So at this point, he's still terrified, but doesn't want to ask God about it. But... God sees that he's still scared and gives him one more opportunity. So if you look in chapter 7, verse 9, it says, at this, at this point they had moved up to being basically right beside the Midianite camp. And it says, That night the Lord said, Get up and go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So God sees he's still afraid, and he doesn't want him to have to go into this battle afraid. So he tells him, I'll give you another opportunity. If you will go down into the enemy camp with just you and your servant, and just listen to what the people are saying, then you, I will take away your fear. You'll, you'll realize you don't have to be afraid of this anymore. And so 
this next, this next passage is one that I always like to talk to my students about because it's a really, really funny passage in the Bible. And I think it's funny that God in this situation decides to take, take um, Gideon's fear away by telling a very funny story. So he goes down into the camp with just him and his servant. And so, yeah, it says, So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, uh, I'll skip down a little bit to, yeah, chapter, verse 13. It says, Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. So that's funny. What the other guy's about to say is also funny. But I just want to say, this is one of those situations where God could have chosen to put anything in that dream. Could have had a boulder rolling down a hill. It could have had meteors falling from the sky, lightning striking the tent. Anything, and God chooses a loaf of bread to roll down the hill <laughs> and hit the camp. But what I love is what his friend says. Because imagine if you're just talking to one of your close friends and you had this dream, you're just like, I had a really weird dream last night. I just dropped out a loaf of bread, rolled down the hill, and destroyed one of our tents. And then his friend, where is it? There we go. So his friend tells him, this can only mean one thing. <laughs> I love that. This can only mean one thing. And what he says is that basically God has... Ah, I'm mixing up my words here. Yeah, he says this can only mean one thing. God has given Israel victory over Midian and all of its allies. So, so the guy's just sitting there like, hey, I had a really weird dream last night. A loaf of bread rolled down the hill and hit one of our camps and knocked it over. Then his friend is like, that can only mean one thing. It means we're going to be defeated. <laughs> and so at that, it literally says that Gideon just bowed down and worshipped God. Because now, now he realizes, okay, God, God is telling the truth. We're going to win this battle. If even the enemies are saying that they're going to be defeated, then we are going to win this battle. And so after that, he goes back to the camp. He wakes everyone up and he tells them, okay, let's go. We're going down there and we're going to defeat them. And what he does is he tells everyone, like he gives everyone a clay pot, a torch, and a ram's horn. And all that they did is they surrounded the camp, the 300 men, and then they broke the clay pot, they held a torch up, they blew the ram's horn, and then they all yelled, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And so now put yourself in the perspective of all of the Midianites. It's late at night, really dark. You hear the ram's horn sounding, which is a call to war. So you know, oh no, something bad is happening. We're being attacked. So you grab your gear real quick. You run out of your tent and you look around and you just see all around the camp. You just see torches lit up. Just torch there, torch there, torch there, torch there, all the way around. And of course, there's so many of them that they, they're not close enough to actually see, oh, that's one person. All they see is there's a torch there, and they're thinking there's a whole group of people behind them that's about to be led into battle against us. And so they get so terrified by all of this that they just start running around and killing each other. 
They're so scared they don't even realize who's an ally and who's not, and they just run around the camp and keep killing each other until there's almost none of them left. And then finally they all flee, and the, and the army that's with Gideon go and finish the rest of them off. So they didn't even have to do a single thing. The 300 men who are fighting the numberless army, all they had to do was get up there, break a clay pot, hold a torch, blow a horn, and then shout. And God defeated the numberless army without any help from them whatsoever. So, so you can see that Gideon, through this whole passage, is terrified of what's going to happen. And God is patient with him the whole time, just guiding him through step by step, helping to show him that everything's going to be okay and God's got it all handled. So now I want to go through a couple things we can learn from Gideon and from his fear in this passage. And so the thing that I want you guys to know, and this is something that I've studied a lot about and God's just made really clear to me, and I've said this in the youth group countless times probably by now, but any time that you are afraid, fear is simply a lack of trust in God. Now you think about this passage with Gideon. Why was Gideon afraid the whole time? And there are a lot of reasons that he could have been afraid. He's afraid that he could lose his life if the battle goes wrong. He's afraid that when he was taking down the statues, he's afraid that he could be rejected or killed by all the people around him. When he has the army there, he's afraid for the people in the army now, their lives, because they're now all giving their lives for him. And there's so many things that he could be afraid of through all of this. But all of it boils down to one thing. He doesn't trust that God's going to do what he said he was going to do. From the very beginning, opening up the passage, God goes to him and tells him, you are the one I've chosen to save your people, and I will be with you. You will have no trouble fighting them. I will destroy the army for you. You just got to do what I want you to do. So from the very beginning, God promises, I will take care of all of this. You don't have to worry about anything. And yet Gideon doesn't believe him. Gideon tests him and then tests him again and then tests him again and can't, just can't wrap his mind around the fact that, uh, that him, that he could lead an army and then finally that he could lead 300 people to defeat this massive army. And it's all because he didn't trust that God would actually do what he wanted him to do. And so you see, this applies to every fear that we come in contact with. Like with what I was telling you guys earlier about the time that I was afraid of going out and passing flyers out. Well, why was I afraid of that? Because of two reasons. One, because I, I wasn't trusting that God would give me the words to say to them. And two, because I was afraid that I was going to get rejected by them. And so all of that comes back to me not trusting God. I didn't trust that God was going to handle the situation. I didn't trust that God was actually going to do anything through that. I didn't trust that God had me covered in everything that I was going through. And so any time that a fear comes to your life, you just have to stop and think about the fact that the reason why you're afraid is not because bad it's not because bad things are going to happen the reason why you're afraid is because you don't trust god to handle all of that you don't trust that god will take care of you and watch over you in all of this a really good example of what this looks like i actually just 
this last Friday went through with the youth group in this. We've been going through the book of Daniel. And so we're going through the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as some of you may know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> so Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were captives from Israel, because again, Israel turned away from God. God handed them over to the Babylonians. They were taken captive, and then because they were from wealthy or noble households, they were basically put into a program by the king to be trained in the culture and language of Babylon so that they could then go and serve in the king's court. And so they did that. They proved themselves to be really good, and they eventually got promoted to being high members overseeing the province of Babylon. <clears throat> and so then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, Size, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a giant gold statue of myself. And then I'm going to have all these people play these instruments. And when and no matter who it is, everyone in my kingdom who hears these instruments must immediately bow down and worship my statue. Otherwise, they're going to be thrown into the furnace. And so Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, when this time comes, they decide they're not going to bow to the statue because they're only going to worship their God. And so then some people tell the king about this. He gets furious and brings them in and gives them one more chance and says, if you will bow down to my statue, you can go free. Otherwise, you will be thrown into the furnace. And then they tell him, I, I love their response because I was reading this in the NLT translation, and it literally says that they responded to him, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves against you. And they go on to say, our God is strong enough to save us, and even if he doesn't save us today, we're not going to bow down and worship you. We're just not. Because you see, that's the kind of faith level that God is wanting because they're at a point where they realize, okay, God is in control. He has everything under his power. He knows everything, and he cares about us, so we don't need to worry about whether we're going to die or not. All that we know is that God said that we need to follow him and only worship him. And so we're not going to worship this statue, even if it means we will be put to death. Because we know our God's strong enough to save us, and even if he doesn't, we're okay with that. So then they, of course, get thrown into the furnace, and God stands there and protects them from all of that. And through all of that, the king then realizes okay, their God is obviously the best and starts praising their God and gives them even higher positions because he realizes that they were actually smart to deny him and not follow his order. So, as you can see, fear always comes when you don't trust that God is going to protect you or provide for you in whatever situation you're going into. And so I want to kind of, I'm a very logical thinker, so I like to take things to their logical conclusions. So let's keep thinking about this. If fear is a lack of trust in God, then that means that fear is actually a lie. Because fear is believing in the fact that God's not going to do what he said he's going to do. Now in the Bible, it says that we're not given a spirit of fear. So where does our fear come from? The only other place it comes from Satan. Satan is constantly trying to lie to us to make us believe that what God said he's going to do, he's not actually going to do. And the problem is that we believe this all the time. 
Like I am 100% convinced if the Christians of today were to actually stop believing in fear and start believing that God is in control, that our entire world would be changed. Because that's the number one thing that Satan does against us every single day. Every time we try to do something that God wants us to do, he counters it by trying to make us so afraid that we'll just freeze and not do anything. And he never stops trying to make us afraid of everything. And I remember there was a, there was a time that I've, I don't think I'm ever going to forget because it stood out really strong to me. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I remember I was in my kitchen and me and my mom were talking and we were just talking about something random. And then she had said to me, you know, I've kind of gotten to the point where if I'm afraid of something, I just make myself go do it. And I thought about that a lot. And I've realized that that's actually really accurate because, again, taking this whole idea to its logical conclusion, if... When, if our fear is our lack of faith from God, and if our fear is from Satan telling us lies, well, Satan only tells us lies about things that he doesn't, that he only tries to stop us from doing things that he doesn't want God to do. So that means if Satan is lying to you and trying to make you afraid about doing something, that right there should be your confirmation that that's what God wants you to do. And so that's why that resonated with me so much because any time that you're going through your life and you feel like you should do something but you're afraid about it, just let that be your confirmation that that's what God's telling you to do. Because Satan doesn't just, doesn't just uh, try to stop you from doing everything. He focuses on trying to stop you from doing the things that would hurt him, which are the things of God. And so if you are afraid about doing something, let that be your confirmation that God is wanting you to do it, and then just do it. Because once you know, okay, I'm afraid about this, but that's a lie. Uh, Satan is trying to tell me this is going to happen, and I know it's not. Then you can just speak straight to that. And sometimes I actually just speak straight to Satan and say, Satan, get out of my head. You don't belong here. You have no power over me. What you're saying is not going to come true. And even if it does, God's in control. So why should I care about that? So just get out of my head and let me do the things that God wants me to do. And so one more thing that I want to point out before we end, which is something that I read through in the passage, but I kind of skipped over a little bit. But in the very end, right before Gideon goes to fight the Midianites, when he's still afraid, when God gives him that final chance to, to get over his fear, he tells him, I want you to take your servant and sneak into the Midianite camp. And then while you're in the Midianite camp, I'll show you something that will take away your fear. Well, sneaking into the Midianite camp is already something that will make him terrified. He's got to sneak in because if anyone were to see him, I mean, from what the people were saying, what the guy said from his dream, his friend said that, he said specifically that your dream means that Gideon leading the Israelites will destroy us. So they know that Gideon is the one who's leading the army. And so if they were to see Gideon there, he's done for. And so God makes Gideon face his fear and go through his fear into the Midianite camp before he shows him the thing that gets rid of all of his fear. 
Because you see, this goes back to something that I've said a lot of times up here, and that's that God is always wanting to help us through everything that we're going through. No matter what it is, no matter what we're struggling with, God is there and he's ready to help us, but he always wants us to make the first move. He always wants us to take the first step and say, I'm serious about this, God. I'm going to do this even if it's hard, even if I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm going to start following you and trust that you will help me do the rest. And that's exactly what Gideon had to do there. He had to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to protect me if I go into this camp. I'm going to trust that you're not going to let me get found by them. And then when he did, he said, I'm going to trust God. And he pushes through his fear and he goes into the camp. Then God takes away all of his fear and he's able to go and do the incredible miracle that God was wanting him to do all the way from the beginning. So I just want, I really want you to challenge you guys to this coming week, every time that you're afraid of doing something, just remember where that comes from, because it doesn't come from God. Anytime that you feel like you should be doing something, but you're terrified, just remember that God is there with you. No matter what your brain is thinking, no matter what's going on in your head, God is in control. He knows what's going on and he cares for you and wants what's best for you. And the Bible says that if we will trust and follow him, that everything will work together for our good, even if it doesn't seem like it. Because he sees the big picture. He knows what will help us grow. He knows how to change us and how to move us to the place that we need to be. And so we need to trust him. Just trust that he is the one who's in control and that he will provide for us. And then when those fears come, just push straight through them and just say, I don't have to be afraid here. I don't have to worry about what's going on because I know my God's in control and he will never let anything happen to me that is not for my own good. So I'm going to push through no matter what.